Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utes do it. They beat Washington. They advance. Uh, There were stretches of the game where they looked pretty good. There were stretches of the game where they looked like they just wanted to run up and down and trade shots and win. They had a big lead, just get out of there. didn't seem to be really taking all that serious in lockdown mode or anything. And I guess they didn't need to since they won. And, uh, you know, they're obviously going to play much better to beat USC. I feel like I'm saying all the same things I said after BYU Pepperdine. <laughs> I mean, they won, but they didn't play great. <laughs> it didn't go overtime. And nor in three points is a little misleading because Washington hit a three with eight-tenths of a second left to take the six-point lead down. Uh, the game, a, a lot of the second half, the lead was between eight and 15 points. Um, it was pretty loosey-goosey out there. And they're going to have to play a lot better to beat USC. Uh, but they got the win, and it hasn't been enough winning. And Cal beat Stanford, so Stanford will tell you, you know, ugly wins are better than ugly losses, that's for sure. Uh, Larry Kristoviak, his thoughts after the game. Here's the Utes head coach. With SI.com. Larry, allowing 95 points probably isn't something that, that you're very pleased about, but just being able to, to call your way into getting a win, uh, how does it feel right now? Well, it feels good. I mean, we gave up 60 points in the second half, so it was uh, it got to be a little bit of an ugly barrage at, at the end. But, you know, shoot, 36 minutes of the game, I thought we were pretty solid. A uh, lot of offensive rebounds when they missed. They outscrapped us going down the stretch. We missed free throws, had turnovers. It wasn't a good finish, but um, our defense was a lot better than giving up the number of points than, than we gave up. It was it – was, uh, kind of a perfect storm it doesn't make you feel great going into it but this isn't the time of year that you think too much about it we got to move on for uh the next ball game against the trojans so hopefully we can sharpen some things up prior to that and then to follow up on that you guys made 14 threes shot 53 percent from beyond the arc was a lot of that just of of what what the defense was giving you or, or were the guys really feeling it well, I mean, a, a little bit of both. I thought in the first half we we had a lot of one-pass threes. Uh, you know, I, we led our conference in two-point field goal percentage. Uh, we were ninth in the country. If it, you know, in free throw percentage, if it weren't for Colorado, we would have led the conference in uh, free throws and twos. And so that doesn't always set up well to come down and cast off a bunch of threes, but we were making them. Guys did hit shots, but I would have liked to have seen us get the ball inside. And, you know, if you can get a, if you can get a one pass three early in a possession, my guess is you can get one late, but that was kind of the nature of the game, a little bit up tempo. Our guys shared the basketball and, and I, this is the time of year when you want to be knocking down shots. I was, uh, I was proud of it to have six people in double figures is, is a little bit unusual in a college game, but, um, you know, this is the time when guys need to be using up their rounds of ammunition and, and making them. Next question will come from Ryan Costeca, followed by Josh Newman with the Salt Lake Tribune. Typically, you have, you know, three to four weeks before you play in a phone again, as far as back 12 days. You play in the UFC, you know, a week later. Does that bode well, you know, better for you or for them? I'm sorry. Uh, that, that was a little choppy of a question. That was uh, a little bad reception. Would you mind repeating that, please? Sorry about that. Uh, go ahead and ask someone else. Then go ahead and go next. All right. We'll move on to Josh Newman, followed by Jay Drew with the Deseret News. 
Larry, the big run there in the first half when you guys broke it open, um, were you happy with, you know, the, you know, the aggression from your team and, and the willingness to go up and down and, and maybe, you know, kind of make Washington get uncomfortable, not able to get into their two, three zone like they'd like? Well, they, they've changed the philosophy a little bit. It, st- it started in a two, three zone until about the first or second pass. And then they were going, man. Um, so, you know, the guys found a, a pretty decent rhythm. I just, the, the, uh, Achilles heel for us tonight, I thought was some sloppy turnovers, some pet uh, catching and passing, uh, you know, simple plays, whether they were at the end or even early in the game, but uh, offensively we were pretty darn efficient if we didn't turn the thing over and if we moved it multiple times. Um, but yeah, we, our guys were aggressive, as I said, and guys were feeling it a little bit. We shared it decently and, um, you know, we, we need, we need, obviously when you give up 60 points in the second half, we needed all those buckets, but, but we, you know, we're about to play USC, which is one of the top teams, not only in our conference, but in the country at defending the two point line and the three point line. And you're just, there's not as much margin for error. We're going to have to be a lot more crisp and, uh, and do a better job of, of moving the ball. And certainly with their shot blocking ability inside um, it's it's going to pose a little different challenge, but tonight I thought it was great. I I loved the the offense for ninety percent of the ball game. Just a quick follow up: when you're in a situation like this tournament time, where you know you play again tomorrow night, there's no practice time. You know, how do you go about trying to fix things that you thought went wrong uh, on such a short turnaround? Yeah, well, you know, I, I mentioned that in our post game meeting. You know, we. Uh, we aren't going to be able to fix turnovers. I think a lot of it's a mindset that you bring in and, you know, the, the classic saying of uh, mental is the physical as four is the one. This is not a time of year that we're going to improve our skill level. We're not going to improve our shooting touch. We're not going to get any bigger in the weight room. You know, a lot of those physical things just aren't happening and teams that advance right now become a little bit stronger mentally and, and, Hopefully this was a little bit of a wake up call, a correction to be able to win a game, but yet not be very sharp going down the stretch. Um, you know, so we've, we, we've, I think we're more pleased with where we were here, but obviously moving forward, um, we got to sharpen the saw a little bit without a lot of practice time. I, I think uh gentleman from SI, one of the questions was the fact that we played USC. I just heard the USC, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, it's in a, it's not a di- advantage for either team, but there's not a whole lot that's changed. So the scout and the prep turning right around is better than maybe if, you know, it's an opponent that we hadn't played in a long time that could be doing things differently. I think we know what we're going to get from USC. So um, there's a benefit to that. Next question will come from Jay Drew, followed by Josh Furlong and Sam Gordon. Larry, you mentioned the sloppy turnovers. There were a couple of calls in the turn in the first half where they were calling, traveling on uh, on that step back that we've seen Alfonso do all year. 
did you get an explanation for that or was he really traveling? I guess would be my question. Well, I, I'm, that's not really part of my job description. I felt like on the first one, it was an obvious travel. And on the second one in my discussions with the referees, a little bit of an interpretation, I thought he was, uh, it was a pullback dribble on the second one. He hadn't picked the ball up. And I, you know, in my discussions with the, uh, with the officials, they could see that point. And some of those plays are hard to call bang, bang when they're live. Fonz has got to clean it up a little bit. It's, uh, it's, it's a, it's an unusual move and he's got to make sure that he's crisper and defines his pivot foot. And also the point at which he picks, picks the ball up for the step back. You can't pick the ball up and then take a two step back. If you're in the middle of a pullback dribble, when you do the step back, then it becomes legal. And I think, uh, you know, without seeing the film, I, I felt like the first one was obviously a travel. The second one, I wasn't so sure. And then just what benefits are there to having played the game, having gotten used to the arena, gotten used to the unusual atmosphere? Well, you never know about that. You know, it's gone both ways. Um, we've been on both ends of it. I think it's going to be what I like the fact that we played, um, you know, got our feet wet a little bit. It had been a long time since Washington had played a game that I think they, they were close to two weeks off without playing. So uh, as far as tomorrow goes, it's hard to say. I think, you know, you were looking at a USC team that's uh, coach of the year, player of the year, defensive player of the year, all kinds of stuff. So I don't know if it's going to make much difference in their mind. Uh, them not playing and they played recently against UCLA. So I I'm just happy to be playing right now. And I guess that'll be a, uh, a question that you guys would have some interpretation of after you watch the game tomorrow and see if a team looks rusty. Uh, I wouldn't guess that we're going to look tired. So I I'm just, again, I'm just happy to be advancing and, and playing. Next question will come from Josh Furlong followed by Sam Gordon and Josh Newman. Yeah, Larry, T-Mobile Arena hasn't been too kind to you in conference play. Ever since you guys moved there, you haven't won a game until tonight. Was it nice to kind of get that that monkey, so to speak, off your back? I know you don't generally care about those types of streaks or whatever that are, but but is it nice to kind of finally get that win just to, just to kind of shake it off and say that you can do it? Yeah, I, I, most definitely. You know, this is not a time of year that you want to be in a, in a one-and-done situation. And uh, I thought there was a little, you know, we got a, a, a couple of years that we got to buy and we ran into the hottest team in the league in Oregon that got on a string. And, um, you know, look, you can always come up with, uh, with storylines, but the one year I think we beat California by 30 points and then you end up playing them in the first round of the tournament. And sometimes human nature comes into play, but it, it, hasn't felt good. We did get a win against Kentucky here. So it's not a building jinx. It's more of a PAC 12 conference jinx. And, uh, we certainly would like to get a little, you know, feel better about it and be able to, uh, to get some wins. So there's no doubt. I didn't think about it until you just mentioned it and, uh, and discuss that, but yes, certainly. And following up real quick on that or not on that necessarily, but last year, obviously COVID, uh, kind of hit right as you guys were playing the game, everything was being canceled as you were playing and you guys found out pretty much that the world was shutting down after that game. What, what was it like to kind of come back to this environment, knowing the full year that we've had uh, just, just having that as the context, especially with no fans in the stands. Yeah. It's still a little bit eerie. You know, the, the, uh, the casinos, 
fairly dead. A lot of restaurants dead, although things are opened up here. Once we get closer to the weekend, it was more of a Monday, Tuesday shutdown, but I, you know, it, it was a year ago. And a lot of times when you get as old as I am, uh, years fly by, you know, it's like, wow, that was a fast year between birthdays and different things. And this was one of those occasions I've said it before that if this was a year since we were here last, it seems like it could be dog years to the point where it was like seven years. It seems like so much has transpired. We've had a lot of adversity ups and downs. We've had stuff going on with our family personally and, and different things that have just made it. It's definitely not one of those cases where he said, man, this year flew by. Um, so I think there's some optimism. We got daylight savings coming up this week. Uh, we've got needles that are going in people's bodies. The days are getting longer. I think all of the, the medical profession and everybody's got a handle on things. And it's like my physician and my knee, knee doctor told me years ago when I suffered uh, a lot of injuries, if it doesn't kill you, it's just going to make you stronger. And I think, uh, our program and our players have gone through an awful lot, but this is going to be one of those things I think that makes us all more resilient. I'm thankful that we have a chance to play. There's some conferences that aren't playing. There's some teams that aren't playing. So to keep it in perspective, I feel like we're fortunate to be able to keep playing this game, but it certainly has been a challenging year. All right, the Utes pick up the win over Washington. They'll play again tonight against USC. I think that one is at 6.30. And, of course, the Aggies will play tonight as well. UNLV blew out Air Force 80-52. to So it'll be Utah State and UNLV. In the quarterfinals of the Mountain West Conference Tournament, and the Big Sky gets underway with quarterfinals, too. Northern Colorado is playing SUU, and that game starts at like 11 o'clock Mountain Time. It is way early up in Boise. And they got the first game, which gives them the most recovery time. They're the one seed. Weaver State on the other side of the bracket is the three seed. They draw the last game of the night. So they'll play tonight at 7. All right, DJ and PK, more to come. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tim Lacombe is coming up. Stay with us. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. PK brought you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6 at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. DJ PK, time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former BYU assistant, former staff member at Utah. Tim, good morning. Good morning. So, Tim, we have been discussing a question which you are uniquely qualified to answer or some would say no you really are (laughs) so BYU trying to close the gap with Gonzaga and we saw BYU after getting handled easily twice by the Zags the third time 
They jump out to a big lead. They're hitting shots. Gonzaga's defense, and they weren't really interested in pressuring guys 20, 25 feet from the hoop. But they got down 12 at halftime, and suddenly they were interested in that. And Kispert got hot, and that made it a game really quickly. And then the last four minutes, they were the better team, and they pulled away. So that's a a one-game deal. But to pull a program alongside of Gonzaga, can BYU do that? How do you do that and sustain it? What hurdles does BYU have to overcome? Obviously, there are going to be some recruiting hurdles, and depending on how you recruit, there might be pushback from some of the fan base. Can that gap be closed aside from few retires and or few leaves? You know, I don't uh, – I wasn't very successful at chasing down the Zags. Um, you know, we, 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 we certainly got the better of them a few times, but, um, you know, they are – that number one by their name is pretty ominous. And, you know, just for those that, that aren't aware, that's number one in the country. That's not number one in the conference, um, although they're number one in the conference too. Um, it, it's just that what they have going there is, is really amazing. I, I think uh, it, it really is kind of a – a situation where now they're getting, you know, they're in the mix right now for the number one player in the country next year. Um, and Suggs wasn't far off. So they continue to really kind of elevate their program. Um, but I think what we saw last night, I mean, you know, it reminded me of a game. I All the years run together, but we were, we were in a game there in the Orleans late um, that was tight, um, like that game was. I think last night at six minutes it was tied. And, um, you know, you got to credit BYU with a great effort. But I think the thing that, you know, you wake up this morning as a coach at BYU, administrator, I think those are the very things that are on your mind. Um, as great a, a game and season as it was, you know, there's, there's unfinished business. You know, you want to hang a banner. You want to win the league. You want to win a conference tournament. And Gonzaga's pretty good at that. So um, I, I think things are trending in the right direction, and I, I really like the direction Mark's recruiting. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, the hard part is you can work on your hand, but the guy across the, the table's got a hand as well, and you have no chance to influence that hand at all. you just got to play yours. So how would we be received in the BYU community if they fielded teams that had – uh, no starters who'd served a mission, and they're all transfers coming out, or most of them anyway, and don't fit the historical BYU mode. Well, uh, you know, I, I can only speak from experience in that, um, you know, BYU is a a place that is, is a, 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 you know, for members of the church, and then you, you put guys that play basketball on top of that. You know, you, you're always going to have that <laughs> that draw of getting the best players. I think what, you know, uh, I honestly believe, because I've seen this everywhere, regardless of the makeup of the squad, really the only thing that matters, because I think everybody can get behind a winner. Um, you know, if a team is made up differently, I, I really think what – BYU did bring in Gideon George in his story. You know, I think there's there's ways that you can bring transfers um, and guys in that aren't part of the of the faith, but I think that it can really be a promising thing. Can you build your entire roster that way? 
uh, I'm glad I'm not the one trying because I would imagine that will rock the boat. But you know, I think I think Mark's smart. He's gonna he's gonna continue to get the best players he can that want to be there, and then they're gonna do a great job of of finding kind of and discovering guys that maybe don't seem like a natural fit that, that look like um, you know that they belong here. Well, you bring up several questions uh, when you say that. And so I guess I'm thinking, well, you can't build a roster completely out of transfers. But if you had a core of guys who were the traditional local guy you recruit, some go on missions, maybe some don't, but most probably do. uh, I guess the question then is, is the local high school and AAU scene producing enough of those guys or they're going to be years even back-to-back years where you just have to pass because if you take somebody the best guy really isn't good enough to get to the level you want to get at with Gonzaga you know I think that's a decision you've got to make uh in-house I mean our I can tell you what our philosophy was our philosophy was to get the very very best player we could obviously that had a a keen interest and desire in BYU was on their list. You know, it was, it was guys like, you know, the Haas, you know, people think that TJ and Ty were just done deals and, you know, TJ was more so because his process was different, but, you know, Ty went right to the wire. Ty was going to go to Stanford and, and thank God we got him because uh, we all know what he did at BYU. And so I think, um, I do believe, I think if you look up the makeup of BYU's rosters over time, um, you know, you're always going to try to get those guys. And then from there, it's really, you know, we, we had some success, you know, going in and fishing out of different ponds. You know, we, we, we made a, some inroads down in Vegas with, uh, with, with Gorman down there, and we were able to get a couple players out of Vegas. And, um, you know, we jumped hard into uh, understanding ju- junior college and tried to take guys that made made sense. Um, but I really do think, as far as Mark's plan and vision, um, you know, pretty much everything he talked about uh, early on. I think that those things are in play. And you know, this is two years in a row that you know, last year if there's a tournament, they're in it. And this year, you know, they've earned their way in. And I know how hard that is, man. It's hard to do. And they did a great job in the regular season, you know, to make sure that at this point they're in. Um, there were a lot of tenuous moments for us in this this week off. Um, so can you can you exclusively do it? I don't know um, because I didn't do it, but I, I think that the the staff has a great great feel for what works and what doesn't. And I think BYU is evolving a little bit. I mean. You know, I, you can just look at the hair. <laughs> I was talking in passing with a buddy of mine down there, works there, and was like, man, I, I, we had zero mohawks in the time I was there. And, uh, you know, anytime we had facial hair, we got letters. And so, I mean, I think things are evolving just in time, too. So, um, hopefully, all those things coupled together, Mark can just continue to build this thing. What do you think Eliasova brings to the Jazz? Um, you know what? He, he's a stretch guy. He's a guy that another guy that can step out on the floor. I think it diversifies when they go big. Um, we talked about it. We haven't seen a whole lot of favors in, in Rudy, but there are times where you want to go a little bigger. And 
what he provides is uh, a, a capable, you know, 36% career. Is that right? Three-point shooter. Um, a guy that can step out and shoot it. It gives you some size. Um, you know, I think with uh, with George, you know, it may impact George a little bit because he may get some of those minutes. But I, but I think it's uh, it's just an a way for the Jazz to be a little bit more versatile. And as the playoffs come, to be able to have, you know, you got to have a couple different ways and lineups to play in the NBA that match um, and maybe even create an advantage. So I'd say that's what he's there for. 36.5% career three-point shooter. If you go back, there are th- I was off. I'm sorry. Here, there, no, you're, that was the point as you were on. The, uh, there were three years in his 20s. Uh, two in Milwaukee, and then a portion of a season in Orlando, not a full season, where he did shoot over 40%. There were two years in Milwaukee. He shot 44 and 45%. So he wasn't shooting as many then. If you get him to be selective, maybe you find spots on the floor. How much can the Jazz coaches tweak and make this better? And how much is this an insurance policy, a tenth guy for occasional matchups, and we shouldn't overthink it? Or if there's an injury... You know, then someone you can plug in, maybe someone who would be better suited to play out basketball and has more experience than Mieoni, who right now looks like the guy before the, this move that you would be plugging in, but you might be plugging into a series, you know, Lakers, Clippers, Suns, whoever, that's maybe a little more than uh, he can handle at this point in his career. Yeah, I think that's what he. I mean, if I, if I were to guess, I don't, I don't think they made a move for a rotational player here. I think. I think the the move is is like exactly what you and I said to diversify the bench to, um, you know, to to see what a guy who can come in there at the four, just like we see with George, keep the floor space and spread. Uh, I think he's really going to, at least, always really going to benefit from the way the ball moves here. Um, you know, I think he he saw something. You know, Milwaukee has a a good idea offensively, but it does stop a lot with Giannis. And, um, and Middleton, and I think what he, I think he'll be impressed the way the, the ball flies around. And when the ball flies around, that just indicates that the, the defense is a step behind it. And, you know, because the ball, the ball is the most important thing. It can move quicker. So if you can move that thing like the Jazz are moving it and share it, I think he'll really benefit from that in his time on the floor. We know going in the All-Star break, the Jazz lost, what, three out of four, four out of seven. And so there was obviously a little bit of slippage, which could be expected because they were winning at such a phenomenal rate. With that in mind, how important is these first few games coming out of the break? I think they're huge. Um, you know, I think if you kind of compare it to a, a game, um, you know, we basically at halftime. And so it's important to come out and be, be sharp, uh, to be really good and, and not show any weakness. Um, I thought last night, you know, BYU and the Gonzaga game is a perfect example. I think that BYU really was free and easy and played hard. And, and, but I also believe Gonzaga gave them a little more real estate than they typically do. Uh, at halftime, I think two things happened. I think BYU got a little tight with the lead. Um, and that coupled with Gonzaga being a little bit more um, prone to guarding them closer, uh, you know, that kind of flipped the game back to even. And what the Jazz want to do, really, in this is they just want to keep distance between themselves. And in order to do that, you got to continue to play well. I haven't seen um, any indication that the Jazz will slow down considerably. I was a little concerned, you know, defensively in that stretch. Um, it was probably the area that slipped the most. 
Um, and even then, you know, the Jazz had stretches in those games where they guarded really well. So it's just a matter, I think, more than anything, this rest and not just not just physical rest, but mental rest to get away from it. I mean, hell, I'm the I'm the pre path and post guy, and I was famished. I was exhausted. I needed a break, you know. So I'm 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 working on my R and R right now, and I can't even imagine what the guys must feel like. So they're uh, they'll come out of the break in it, but it's really important. You want to maintain momentum, and the only way you can do that is to, to continue to play well. Um, but this Jazz team's really, really focused, and, and I actually kind of like this new addition because it it'll require guys to be really engaged, and, and they'll be a part of this where they bring Ilyasova along, and while they're doing that, you know, it'll help them keep their heads where they need to be. And um, but I, but I like all the direction that this is pointing. I like the way the, the schedule stacks up for sure. So watching that BYU Gonzaga game and watching uh, what you say about the real estate they were willing to give up, yeah. uh, Quinn Snyder always talks about pickup points. And, you know, for people who haven't played and haven't gotten into this, and, and PK's real, always really into the mental aspect, you know, when do you think you can do something and when do you think you can't? Because that'll decide a big chunk of whether you can do it or not. And I thought Gonzaga in the first half let BYU bring the ball right to the three-point line and run their offense. And they could swing the ball from side to side, and the ball never really left the three-point line. In the second half, the pickup point got extended out five, sometimes even 10 or 12 feet beyond the three-point line. And guys were uncomfortable. Guys weren't looking for shots. They were just looking not to turn the ball over and move it to the next guy and say, maybe we can get over to the other side and get a shot. Can you talk about what that does and what that does to shooters' confidence? Yeah, it, it's really an astute point, and I saw it right from the beginning. You know, I mean, really the indicator on offense, BYU runs a lot of dribble handoffs. And, you know, like you said, those dribble handoffs were right at the three-point line. And those are such great attack areas as an offense. That's where you want to be. You want to be really spaced, but you you want to be, you know, part of being on attack is, is owning that, that kind of intermediate space. And BYU did that really well in the first half, and I thought, again, Zaga kind of, lost that battle it was interesting because i knew mark few would light them up uh, you know the one thing he he won't stand for is bad effort and uh, i think that's one of his his real um and i don't necessarily think it was his bad effort as much as maybe they they were just a little bit lax and byu was just on fire and you know as byu continued to make shots it, it really does get frustrating so by Going into the locker room, I knew Mark would jump them, and I knew they'd come out with a ton of energy. And you know, I almost expected in that that start of that second half, BYU would get some back doors because that's really the key to breaking that pressure. Um, but what ended up happening is BYU just got pushed out more on the floor. Their backs were to the basket. You know, like you mentioned, DJ, that's a really good point. Um, you know, that it was more, hey, I need to complete this handoff or pass as opposed to. Uh, you know, let's let's really drive, create an advantage, and kick. Um, so it's a mental part of the game, and, and it's uh, a part that Gonzaga really kind of honed in hard last night in the second half. And BYU, you know, to their credit, you know, on eleven two run, they didn't just roll over. They they had one more run in them and shot and got that thing, like I said, to six minutes tied. Um, and it, it, but really, the last couple minutes, Gonzaga just really kind of put the 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 pedal down and coasted away. Uh, but that is a game within a game. Uh, real estate, you know, isn't just a, uh, a commodity. It's a part of the basketball. And 
whoever really wins that real estate battle has a really good chance of winning the game. So you've been out of coaching for a couple of years. Is this the time of year you miss it the most? Um, it's funny because I, I honestly, I, I miss the relationships and the associations, but I strategically walked away because I wanted to make sure there wouldn't be a whole lot of longing. And so I almost went a year longer than, than I planned to make sure that this was the course and the track I wanted for my life. So right now, while I enjoy it, it's more like I'm back in high school, to be honest with you. Um, I used to skip school all the time during tournament weeks to sit and watch basketball 24 seven. Um, my parents would get so mad, but it was my, it was what I loved to do. And I never forget to get in the USA today, you know, the Monday of after selection Sunday and it had a whole section, everything broke down of every team strengths, weaknesses, bracket, you know, who they suggest, maybe some upsets picks. I just love to dive into that. So, what I would say is I don't miss it from, you know, the, the coaching seat. What I'm really doing is being able to appreciate it again as a fan, which is really cool. So is Gonzaga going to do it? Are they going to win it all? Are they going to go undefeated? Because you probably go back to, I don't, I don't know how old you are, high school, junior high. How old were you in Indiana when undefeated? I was uh, six years old, Kent Benson and Quinn Buckner. A little before your time, in other words. No, I was. You right were in cutting there. school at six. Yeah, <laughs> I was. Really? I was, First was grade. Come on. No, I'm just joking. Come on. No, I, I just. You know what I remember about them? I remember the SI cover with Quinn Buckner and and uh, Ken Benson. I remember that. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I hope they can because I will tell you this: there is no finer person on this planet than Mark Few, and he deserves it for what he's done. Uh, done a great job. He's universally loved across the game. And it's hard to do that when you win 90% of your games because you're ticking a lot of people off. Um, but it's hard to do. The reason it hasn't been done for a long time, it hasn't been done a whole lot, period, is it's really hard to do. And the NCAA tournament's all about matchups. You know, it's no different for BYU. They're, they're now sitting on pins and needles. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget when we were up against it. You know, BYU had not won a tournament game. You know, you speak about all the great years BYU had in their history uh, and some of the great players that came through. You know, that 2001 team, they, they won the, the conference tournament, but they still did not win a game in the NCAA tournament. And so it's hard to do that. And, and it's all about matchups. So we wish, I remember sitting there and we're up against it. We want to win a game so bad in the tournament because we're so tired of hearing that BYU hadn't won one since 88. I think, is that the year that they beat somebody? Um, well, I think Roger Reed won a game in the early 90s, but... Okay, yeah, oh, 92, 92. 92, I think it was. They beat SMU, I think, was the last win. Um, but you think about 92 to 2007, and that's how long it was before BYU won a basketball game in the NCAA tournament, and that was weighing on us so bad. And uh, we got Texas A&M. We got Texas A&M again. Okay, and then we got Florida out of the SEC in the first round. So we were having these great years. I mean, I think we won 30 games the year we beat Florida, and we still had to play a team like that, a Power Five team who was really tough. Chandler Parsons was on that team; they were good. 
and we ended up beating them in overtime, and we got that monkey off our back. Um, but my point is, now you sit and wait for matchups, and for BYU, you know, they're looking at that first game um, and praying that's a great matchup for them. Gonzaga's looking, <laughs> Gonzaga's looking up and down the bracket, right? They're they're in a different place where they're saying, okay, here's our first round matchup, and that's going to be a 16, and then we got to look down. Who's our two? Who's our four? You know, who are, who are the teams that could cause us some issues? And you get right to work on it. Um, and that's what's fun about it, man. Is it now at this point you've done all your work, you put your body, you know, in front of the committee, and now they're going to tell you what they think you're worth. And they're going to tell you who you got to beat. And so it's a fun time. A couple of days and we'll know. Well, you got a few more days of R&R. Friday, we'll hear you on the Jazz pre-half and post. That's right. And uh, I miss Jake, man. I've gotten this rhythm where we're kind of like the stepbrothers. <laughs> uh, we're with each other all the time. We actually got bunk beds up there in that studio. If things get too late, we just, you know, say our prayers and jump into bed and go to sleep. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, Friday it comes. So I'm going to enjoy Wednesday and Thursday like I've never enjoyed Wednesday and Thursday before. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. All right. Thank you all. DJ and PK, there is Tim Lacombe, former BYU assistant basketball coach. Now you hear him on the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows. When we come back, Andy Bailey from Bleacher Report. The Jazz make a move. The Nets made a move. Are the Lakers going to make a move? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you apart by Davis Vision. Davis Vision is giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. Maybe not as good as uh, Urson Ilyasova, who knows he's getting an NBA paycheck. <laughs> yes. How big a deal is that for the Jazz? Is that just a little move around the uh, around the edges, a little insurance policy, or do you see it as more than that? I would probably say it's it's a move around the edges, as you described. But, you know, I I think Utah's bigger need may still be perimeter defense, just more bodies to throw it. Guys like LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, um, and so from that sense, it's a little bit curious. Um, but you can see why the Jazz would like him. I mean, they, they've been in the business of forwards who can shoot for a while, and he makes sense on that front. I, I don't think that he, you know, immediately steps into a huge role. If anything, he maybe supplants George Niang somewhere down the line. But Niang has, you know proved himself to be a pretty valuable shooter off the bench, too, so he, he might even have to fight for minutes um, once he gets there, and Utah's got a pretty stout eight- or nine-man rotation already. Um, so, I you know, it's not a huge, earth-shattering move, but, I you know, I could see how he could help down the line. He's certainly a guy who can rebound a little bit and, and hit some threes. He's, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's kind of a mid-30s guy for his career, 
Um, but mostly, it's it's. I think the way you described it is good. It's it's probably an insurance policy. So then, do you see them making another move to get that perimeter defender you speak of? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, what's interesting is uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they let Shaq Harrison go um, uh-huh. to sign Ersan Ilyasova. So that that was interesting because you know I I thought he's a guy who could maybe be that perimeter defender, and maybe he just didn't show enough behind the scenes to stick around. Um, you know, so certainly that move could be out there. The, the Ilya Silva signing, frankly, surprised me quite a bit because I thought they were pretty set already. Um, you don't get the point differential Utah has right now and the best record in the league without being pretty good and having a pretty strong rotation. Um, so I was a little surprised to see any moves at all. And so I would I would kind of default to that position again. I'd, I'd be surprised if they made another move just because I think they're really good. Um, and, you know, certainly no team wants to rest on their laurels and, and not get better. So they're probably looking for that kind of help. Um, but I don't think it's going to be any name that blows us away. If, if there's another signing or a small trade or something like that, it'll probably be um, around the same level of impact as this Ilya Silva deal. You know, the thing that always seems to me is that, it, first off, for the guys who they're struggling to defend, well, the whole league is struggling to defend those guys. Correct. And if yeah. you get somebody who can at least make life hard for those guys, well, then he's going to hurt you offensively, and you're going to have to play a four-on-five a little bit because whoever they bring in is not going to shoot the ball as well as the guys they have because if you can defend that well and you can shoot the ball that well, you're already in the league and you're a star. So yep. I get why people want – or think the Jazz need that because everybody needs another one of those guys. Literally every, I mean, the Lakers could use more depth. They could use one of those guys, but those guys aren't available. I, I think you are, you hit the nail on the head there. And I, and I actually think sort of the national conversation regarding that need for the Jazz is a little bit overblown. I think they have closing lineups where they can certainly play Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal at the same time. And those are two of the better perimeter forward defenders in the league. Um, you know, jazz fans, I'm sure, remember fondly when Joe Ingles basically shut Paul George out of a series um, a few years ago. He's he's an underrated perimeter defender. I think Royce O'Neal is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league right now. Um, where Utah runs into a little trouble, I think, is, is their backcourt's kind of small with Conley and Mitchell, and that can cause some problems. But I think they have more options on the perimeter than people give them credit for. And like you said, you know, even if they give up a little bit of, um, you know, defensive solidness, I, mean, I don't know if I'm making up words at this point, um, they make up for it with the ridiculous amount of shooting that they put on the floor. Um, you know, I, I'm i still probably in the camp of, you know, if it's a seven-game series against the Lakers or, or probably even the Clippers, I'd probably pick one of those L.A. teams. But I think Utah is much closer to a title contender uh, than people want to give them credit for. So when the second half resumes, they've got the home game against Houston. Then they play the next couple of weeks. So in a seven-day span, they're playing four games each of the next two weeks. And that's a lot of games, but I know that everybody else is in the same boat to one extent or another. But considering that they went into the All-Star break a little bit of a slump, how important would you say those first two weeks are knowing that the games are coming at them fast and furious? 
Yeah, I'd say it's pretty important. I, you know, it would certainly be nice to enter the playoffs as the one seed. I don't, I don't know if they have that as a goal on the whiteboard or anything like that. Um, but they want to get some of that momentum back that they had at the beginning of the year. I also don't think, you know, it, it would be nice if they came out and blew the doors off to start this second half of the season and got all the media um, back behind. I mean, it seemed to me like the media was very excited to jump on. I wouldn't even call it a losing streak that they had before um, the All-Star break. They just happened to lose a couple games, which happens to everybody. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if they want or need that respect back from the media. It's more about just can you have home court throughout the um, Western Conference postseason. And, and though they have a tough schedule at the start of the second half of the season, once they get through that, um, it, it should lighten up quite a bit. It, I, I'm pretty sure the last time I checked, Utah had the easiest remaining strength of schedule in the league. Um, so if they can get through a couple bumps here early on, I, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. So because the Jazz have looked, uh, they have looked a step slow, maybe a little run down when they've had to play three games in four days. They time to get to the third one. It's a bit of a struggle. You probably don't have to do it in the playoffs. Maybe you play a seven game series and get a back to back in the next series, but it's not really something that happens much in the playoffs. So since you don't have to prep for that in the playoffs, what about the idea now since you've got an eight, nine, ten man rotation uh, with Niang and Ilyasova and with Mieoni being kind of an 11th guy now. What about the idea of when you hit these back-to-backs and the three games in four days scenario, rotating guys out of the lineup and sitting them for one night, with the exception of Gobert and Favors, you really can't because you got two guys and you need them both. But in every other place, it seems like they got enough depth. I mean, they, they were 2-0 and when Donovan Mitchell missed. Well, they were 2-0 and when Favors was gone, too, for that matter. Yeah, that was you know, you mentioned the record uh, when Mitchell sat, and that was kind of what was going through my head as you were laying out that question. I I think they've also been pretty successful when Conley has sat Mm -hmm. this season. And if you go back to last season, um, you know, they they had that winning streak when when Conley was out. Um, You know, that's the benefit of depth. And everybody has made that 2014 Spurs comparison to this Utah Jazz team over the last several weeks. And I think this is another one where we can see some parallels. that Spurs team, and, and really for a few years uh, during that era, the Spurs were really good at playing, you know, 11 or 12 guys. Um, and it's not to make everybody feel good and, and give everybody a chance to play. Um, it keeps legs fresh for the playoffs. And I think a, a fringe benefit of that is, you know, if you give me Aoni a few more minutes here in the next couple weeks or, you know, over the second half of the season, and suddenly somebody gets hurt in the playoffs and Mieoni is called upon to have a more significant role in a series and a big moment, he's going to be more prepared for that um, than he would be if he just spent the entire second half of the season on the bench. So Utah's depth um, could really come in handy as, as this second half of the season is going to have to be compressed for a lot of teams. How much are you buying the Suns? Um, I'm kind of on the fence with them. I'm, I'm not as ready to jump in and call them a title contender as I've heard some other people I you know I maybe it's not fair but I I still want to see Devin Booker hasn't played in the playoffs I mean that's I think that's important um DeAndre Ayton of course hasn't played in the playoffs and I think DeAndre Ayton generally they haven't quite figured out his role um 
in this new ecosystem with with Chris Paul and Devin Booker there. Um, I really like their wings. I, I think Michael Bridges is great, and Cameron Johnson is is a good player, and um, Chris Paul has obviously been a stabilizing factor there, just like he was with OKC. Um, so there's there's no question that they're good, and I and I would put them on the fringe. You know, I I would say tier one right now in terms of teams I think can win the title would be like the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Nets, and the Jazz. Um, and I would say the Suns are in tier two, whatever that may mean. And I don't know who all is in there with them. Um, are they knocking on the door for tier one? Maybe, but I, you know, I'm still just a little bit hesitant because we just, we haven't seen as much from then. I mean, obviously we've seen a ton from Chris Paul over the course of his career, but this is still relatively new with the Suns and it's, it's um, maybe a little too early to crown them. You know, you were talking about how versatile uh, the Jazz were and the options they have. The one thing we really haven't seen a lot of, well, that may not be, one thing we haven't seen as much as I think some Jazz fans are intrigued by is Joe Ingles closing if the Jazz think the backcourt is too small in a given matchup. You know, take Conley out at the end of the game. Or we saw the Sixers go right at Bogdanovich in overtime. They clearly yep. thought he's a defensive liability, we can attack him, and they did, and they got enough buckets to win the game. So if there's a, a matchup issue with either one of those guys, why not put Ingles in the closing lineup and take out one of those guys? How willing would you to be, would you be to do that, and how much does that mess with whatever chemistry we're going to hear about, blah, blah, blah. That's that's the big consideration, obviously, is what does it do um, to the other guys. And, and as far as I can tell, this is a team that's got a lot of very level-headed players. Um, and whoever that odd man out may be would, would hopefully be okay with that. But that's something I've been thinking about for weeks. I mean, if you look at lineup data um, – yeah, there are some lineups that are just phenomenal with Joe Ingles in them, and, and versatility is how you started that question. Um, he's extremely versatile. I, you know, he can he can be as effective a spot up shooter as Bogdanovich is, but he's a, a much better perimeter defender, um, and he's a much better decision maker in the, the pick and roll. I mean, we saw that con- that uh, chemistry between he and Derek Favors two years ago in the pick and roll, and. I think he's got a little bit of that with Gobert now, too. I, you know, I, I just think he does more than Bogdanovich does, and I don't know if that's me saying that Bogdanovich is the one who needs to be bumped out. Um, but there are certainly some games and situations where I think Ingles needs to be on the floor in the closing minutes. I, I think he's shown so much over the last several seasons that he's a guy who doesn't shy away from big moments. I already mentioned that series against Paul George. Um, you know, he hits big shots, but he also comes up big on defense a lot down the stretch. So they're going to have to think about that. That's This is <laughs> the burden of having six or seven guys who can close. I mean, there are other games where you think, you know, Jordan Clarkson should be out there um, the way that he can get the offense on track. I mean, there are so many options and configurations and lineups with this team that you could, you know, make an argument for being the closing five. Um, and maybe it's different game to game. But, I, you know, I, for Joe Ingles specifically, I think he's certainly earned more closing minutes. So we've seen Blake Griffin to the Nets. Anything else you're expecting? Um, this is such a weird trade deadline to try to gauge because we've got the play-in tournament, of course, and so I think a lot of teams are going to talk themselves into, you know, we can be one of those top ten teams. 
we can get a little bit more experience, possibly some playoff experience if we get lucky in that play-in tournament. Um, you know, one team there's been a lot of buzz about is the Orlando Magic over the last couple of weeks. Um and it sounds like a lot of guys could be available for them. I mean, it would take a pretty big offer to get somebody like Bucevic, but it sounds like Evan Fournier might get, might be available, Aaron Gordon. Um, so that's maybe a team to, be, to keep an eye on. The Andre Drummond buyout is still a possibility, and it sounds like he might go to the Nets too, um, which would be interesting. I think they might have a glut of big men at that point. Um, so it's, it, it's long story short, it's kind of a hard – trade deadline to figure out. I think the Beal thing is that's just not going to happen this season. At least it doesn't seem like it. I, I think somebody would have to just blow the doors off um, for Washington to, to, to consider moving him at this point. Um, so I don't, you know, I hesitate to say we're going to have a dud of a trade deadline because I thought that in years past and then we just get a, an avalanche of moves on that day. Um, but right now it's just kind of hard to see which team is going to open those floodgates. The Lakers, or as David Locke likes to say in that drop, I hate the freaking Lakers. Uh, their their depth is sub, such an issue. Do you see them adding a guy or two, even if it's fringe player, role player? Because unlike the Jazz, where if you add somebody with one skill set, the Jazz have good depth, and now you're not as well-rounded a team. But the Lakers have depth issues, so any one skill set they add, whether it's somebody who can uh, rebound shot block or somebody who can shoot the three or somebody who can deep D guys up, that might be an asset for them in any one given series, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think they should be um, relatively aggressive. Um, you know, I don't know if that means a veteran who's just kind of sitting on the couch right now and would take a veteran minimum. Um, you know, I, I don't know who that guy is, but they certainly have depth problems. Um, I think you take the second best player off any team, and they're obviously going to struggle. So, so as long as they've got LeBron and AD in the playoffs, they're going to be formidable. Um, but those those other positions, um, they they could certainly use a boost around the roster. Dennis Schroeder is not as good as he was with. OKC, um, Wesley Matthews just kind of looks like a shell of himself at this point. Um, so they could they could certainly use a boost on the perimeter, but I would I would be hesitant to hit the panic button if I'm LA. I don't I don't think they need to do anything dramatic. Um, but if there's a if there's a veteran out there, or a buyout candidate out there, I, they're they're going to have their um, they're going to have their ear on a, on a bunch of possibilities. P.J. Tucker's a guy I thought about for them a little bit ago, and you know I don't know if he suddenly becomes good again because he's been bad in Houston, frankly, and, and maybe he'll be more motivated on a contender. Um, but, yeah, they, they absolutely could use some depth. Well, Andy, we appreciate a little bit of time. You coming on, talking a little NBA with us, and uh, the games are going to pick up here real quick now. Uh, thanks, Andy. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. There's Andy Bailey from Bleacher Report. Coming up next, what is trending on the college basketball? Utah and Washington in the Pac-12 tournament. We'll get to that next.